Welcome in everyone to a very special Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a great and special guest joining us today. This is the first of what we hope to be many of these kind of conversations. But joining us today, we have high school drama teacher and listener of the show, Bobby Novi, all the way from Portland, Oregon, joining us today to talk about one of our previous shows, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. So, Bobby, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for uh, having me. I'm very excited. Y'all are one of my all-time favorite podcasts on Broadway. So I'm I'm very excited to uh, finally be amongst the people that have graced the stage. Oh, thank you. That's high praise indeed, especially coming from a theater teacher we have very much respect for you thank you so much for all you do and we're so excited to have a listener a fan of the show on sharing their stories and insight not only in the theater but about a particular show that you you love and we did an episode on which is a gentleman's guide to love and murder which was a lot of fun to talk about and now we're inviting you on to tell us about your experience with it so why don't we start off with having you tell us a bit about your thoughts on the show sure so i was introduced to the show like a lot of shows i've seen through the tony awards and through uh, original cast albums i'm from portland so we don't get as many of the shows when they're new that other places do we often have to wait for the tour to come And I was a big fan of Jefferson Mays. I remember I first got introduced to Jefferson Mays when he did I Am My Own Wife a few years prior and won the Tony Award. And I've always been a big fan of that Robin Williams style of comedy, the, you know, voice acting and the different impressions and the chameleon. And so I was very impressed with Jefferson Mays way back then of just, wow, this guy did a whole one person show being so many different voices, so many different characters. And so when Gentleman's Guide came around, he was in that. I was like, oh, this sounds really good. What is this? And I watched it at the Tony Awards. They did the I've Decided to Marry You scene, which if you're not familiar with that scene, it's a very, very funny scene. But he d- they did that as the snippet. And then Jefferson Mays introduced that scene, I think playing four different members of the Dice with family in about four four seconds or so. And I was really taken by it, mostly because... It was a show that was unlike a lot of shows on Broadway at the time. The trend back then was a lot of realistic style drama musicals, very heavy material, kind of darker stuff. This was a show that was a comedy and it wasn't based on anything. This is a show that was very much an original idea. I believe there's a book that's loosely similar to it, but not as similar. And it was so refreshing and new and just a very different take on anything that was on Broadway at the time. And then to top it all off, spoiler alert, it won Best Musical. And I was like, this is so great that there's just so much variety of shows. And I listened to the soundtrack and I was like, I need to see the show. This just sounds so fun. So thus began my very high interest in A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. I love that. Now, I'm assuming you've seen the show since then, right? I've seen the show twice, both times on tour. I saw it in Seattle, and then I saw it in Portland. It's actually the first show I've seen in two different cities on tour. Yeah, the reason for that actually is a very funny story, which I can share, in which I heard it was coming to Seattle as part of the Broadway in Seattle season. 
and I really wanted to see it. And I was tracking the Broadway in Portland season as well, because sometimes there's a lot of overlap because they're right next to each other. So oftentimes the show will play in Seattle, then go to Portland. And I noticed it wasn't slated to come to Portland. And I was also looking at the tour map and noticed that it was ending shortly after its run in Seattle. So I was like, oh no, I want to go see this. So I made plans to treat myself and take the train up to Seattle. It's about a three and a half hour train ride. Very, very pretty train ride. And go see it. I, it was coming in July, which is perfect because I was on summer vacation. So I was like, awesome. I'm going to take the train up there, make a weekend out of it, go see Gentleman's Guide. This sounds like it's going to be a blast. At the time, I was in a musical called Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. I was playing Schroeder, which I always do. That's the part I always play in that show. Every time I do that show, I end up as Schroeder. And the person playing Lucy was a friend of mine. And we carpooled together to and from rehearsal. And I mentioned my plan to go up to Seattle to see this show. And in very Lucy style fashion, she decided to hijack the trip and take herself along with me and invite a few other friends as well. And I was totally on board with that, by the way. It wasn't like, uh, you're stealing my trip. No, it was, she was very much, very much part of it. And I was very excited to have her go along with the rest of our friends go with us because she's very much the social person. And I'm more of kind of the quiet planner person. But I'm very glad that I mentioned it to her because it ended up being way more of a fun trip than it would have been. We all got a nice Airbnb house just outside of town. We did karaoke the night before in the in the Airbnb. Just spent the night talking about musical theater, visiting, having a fun time. And then the next morning we went into the city and just spent the day in the city and then went to see Gentleman's Guide that night and then drove home. And then about a year later, they announced that the non-equity production of Gentleman's Guide was coming to Portland. And I was like, oh, great, I get to see it again. And at the time I was in grad school and they offered discounted grad school student tickets. You presented your school ID. And that morning I'd gone to see a show at a local theater. And I occasionally like to do these things called two theater days where I'll see two different shows, sometimes in the same theater, sometimes in different theaters around town. I'll just spend the Saturday wandering around. And that morning I had no intention whatsoever to see Gentleman's Guide again. I was like, I saw it once, you know, I don't, I, I'm kind of tired. I don't know if I want to see it again. And I kept having this, you know, argument with myself that, but it's, it's student discount tickets. You could get tickets for like 20 bucks. And I saw the first show, which was very good. I was like, I'm already downtown. Let's do it. Let's go get, let's go see what tickets are available. And so I went down to the ticket office to get tickets and this was maybe at five o'clock. The show was at 7.30. And I was like, do you have any tickets left for tonight's show? And they just happened to have a third row seat to see Gentleman's Guide for like $20. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So I got the ticket, had a little dinner. And then rather serendipitously, who else is at that performance that night? But the same girl who played Lucy in my production of Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. So not only have I seen the show twice, I've seen it with one of the same people twice. So that was my experiences seeing gentleman's guide to love and murder in person i love that how awesome is that now let me ask you what is your favorite part of the show for me it's a very good show that's a really hard question for me i i think anytime that the dice with family is on stage is just so hilarious and the way that they make the death scene so comical to me is just my favorite part of it It, it's and of course 
I've Decided to Marry You is just such a funny musical moment. Those two things, I think, are probably my two favorite moments of the whole entire show. Musical number-wise, I've Decided to Marry You, which is absolutely hilarious. And then anytime the Dicewiths are on stage just stealing the show and being just absolutely hysterical is just so enjoyable. Yes, I could not agree more. And watching Jefferson Mays do all those amazing death scenes with the beautiful pratfall face that he has, just brilliant eyes and everything was amazing. Just amazing. So what do you think the message or thought that audience should take away from the show is? I, I mean, I don't think that it's not, for those who've never seen it, it's not the kind of show with a lot of hidden meaning or hidden agenda, really. It's not something like Dig, dig Deeper with you know the, these themes. It's really just a fun comedy. But I think at the time, it was really, and I mean, of, of course, I'm cheating a bit here because I listened to Andrew and Hope talk about this. I want to be honest about my insights here. But it's really poking fun at the social classes and how kind of making fun of the wealthy. And I think that's why the comedy works so well and why the death of all these dicebits works so well is because we don't feel as much remorse because they're so wealthy and they really look down on the poor and the destitute. And if there is a message... We, we we watch as Monty Navarro slowly climbs up the social ladder to become somebody when he's nobody. And I don't know, I, I, with a grain of salt, I'd say maybe, you know, don't give up. You can always reach greatness. I don't want to encourage the way he achieved greatness. But, you know, I think it's just kind of, you know, poking fun at society and just how sometimes being rich and famous, it's really just kind of a, it's very... I don't know of a good word, but it's very much just something kind of society just kind of hands people, but it really is kind of meaningless in a way because anyone can come in and take that without really inside. inside it's like, oh, yeah, we have a new, you know, Earl of Highhurst, even though it's really a nobody, but they have the title. So automatically they're wealthy and have status. And it's like the title seems kind of meaningless, given that it can really be handed to anybody, really. But I think it's more of a social commentary on how the wealthy treat the poor. Yeah. Yeah. I think class, it's, a class, it's, a, it's a comedy about class warfare. I think that's a great insight there. And finally, for this first part, I want to ask, who do you hope have access to this show? I think for me, one thing that really stood out to me with this show, especially not only that it was an original idea in the time of jukebox musicals and bio musicals is how simple it all was, you know, it didn't have a lot of flashy dance numbers. It didn't have confetti every other song. It didn't have a chorus line of people just dancing in sparkle costumes. And it still worked insanely well. So I think uh, the thing I hope that people, people who I hope have access to it are people who feel like there's no new ideas on Broadway or it's everything's a movie or it has to have a lot of flash and pizzazz to be worth my time. It doesn't, you know, this is a show that really, I think, honors the OG Broadway styles of just very simple musical style shows. The songs don't particularly, they're not earworms by any means. You don't walk away humming a lot of them. But yeah, I think that it, it's it's an important show to remember that musicals can be anything. You know, you can create a musical about anything, whether that it doesn't have to be a movie or or the life of a musician. It can be 
a crazy idea about a guy who's going to kill all of his family to become wealthy and make it funny. So I think for me, I hope it goes out to people who, so people know not to lose insight of what can be a Broadway show and that it doesn't need to be big and flashy to be successful. As long as you make it fun and enjoyable, that should be the main focus of it and have, have that serve the story you're trying to tell. I don't think Gentleman's Guide would have been nearly as good if at some point, for no reason at all, a group of chorus boys and girls came out in sparkly outfits and did a kick line for no reason at all and then just walked on no one talked about it. It's like, sure, you checked the box for big dance number, but it didn't serve the story. Well, I want to switch things up and let fellow listeners get a chance to get to know you a little bit better as you are on Whisper in the Wings, of course. And I want to start by asking what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you or are some of your favorites? Well, the first person who inspires me isn't someone particularly famous or playwright or anything. It's actually my high school theater teacher. He is the person that made me want to be a high school theater teacher. I was, you know, very much into theater as a little kid. And I went to a very small school. It was a K-8 school. And I was really the only person I knew there who was really into theater on the level that I was. So I didn't really have a lot of people to like share this passion with. And then I went to high school and I took a high school acting class, which is something my grade school didn't offer. And here was a class full of people just like me who were all really into theater, really diehards about it. And like he would just lead these great discussions and knew all this stuff about theater, like a human encyclopedia. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is my place. And yeah, it, it just I wanted to pay forward all that he did for me and my passion for theater. So that's kind of why I became a high school theater teacher as well as I wanted to give what he gave me to other other people as well, just that passion for theater and that knowledge of theater and how to use that to become a better person, not just a, an actor. So that that's number one, for sure, is my high school drama teacher is the first person that inspires me, for sure. And then in terms of playwrights and things, let's see. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if, like, I have a lot of, like, actors and things that I enjoy. I'm a really big fan of Robin Williams, the late, great Robin Williams. Just his style of comedy is really my style of comedy, too. Just very fast paced, off the cuff. I don't really know what I'm going to say in a second. I'm just going to go with the first thing that comes to mind within this world. That was huge for me as a kid. That's kind of where I got a lot of my inspiration of acting and performance style from is from is from Robin Williams. And then a lot of playwrights I like. Let's see. I'm trying to kind of I'm trying to check a lot of different boxes with who I'm giving you because I want to make sure I, I, I have a lot of people and then of course when this ends I'll think of like five more people I'm like oh I should have <laughs> I should have talked about them but I guess just in the moment I mean it's gonna be very bandwagony but I really like Lin-Manuel Miranda just the way he's able to, to tell stories that are both relevant and also really entertaining is just fantastic a lot of the classic musical theater playwrights, Rogers and Hammerstein, you know, Cole Porter, just kind of people that started off this whole thing. I also really like Jonathan Larson. You know, I, I Jonathan Larson is just 
really changed, I think, what musicals could be. Really ushered in a whole new era of of musicals. Yeah, I'm a big musical theater guy. Yeah, those are kind of my big inspirations that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. I love that. That's a great list I have, though. Wonderful list. Mm-hmm. Now, you are out in Portland, Oregon, beautiful Portland, yes. Oregon. So have you seen any great theater lately you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Oh, yes. There's a lot of really great theater here. Most of it is regional, and it's not particularly playing right now. The big deal right now is next week we get to host the musical Six when it comes Ooh. to town, which if you haven't, if you're not familiar with Six, get familiar with Six. It's a very, very, very good show. Very captivating. It's only about 75 minutes long and it's a sing-through. So if you have YouTube, you can listen to the whole soundtrack on YouTube and it's like you're listening to the whole show because it's a sing-through show. It's the first Broadway show to feature an all-female cast and orchestra, which is very exciting. Long overdue. I just saw a really, it's closed now, but I just saw a great production uh, that Portland Center staged it, which is our like top tier regional theater. It's our equity, ha- our big equity house. They just did an amazing production of Midsummer Night's Dream, which was incredible. It was only eight people playing all the roles and it was done very minimalistically, but it was just so fun. So comical, really intriguing. And I love Shakespeare, but there's some shows of Shakespeare that I'm kind of tired of seeing because I've seen it a million times. <laughs> This was one I saw, I was very, very tired when I saw it, but it was incredible. Similarly to when you saw Wicked for the first time, which I also saw on my first trip ever to New York with the original cast. But I was very, very tired because I'd just done, I think, four different things that day in a row. And I was like on the bubble if I wanted to go or not, but my friend had free tickets. I'm like, I'll, I'll go. And it was amazing. Like I was so captivated. It was really great. What was cool was, the back wall of the theater, which is just a cement wall, they made look like a forest, just with lighting. Lighting and some and some ivy. And I could not look away. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, I know it's just a cement wall with lights, but for whatever reason, I cannot take my eye off this wall. It's just so cool looking what they did with it. It was fascinating. Just really, really fascinating. Another cool thing that's coming up I would be remiss if I didn't promote a show I'm in. I am in a one-act festival called Toast, which stands for the Twilight One-Act Something Theater. I forget what the S stands for. But it's a series of 12 one-acts that all revolve around theater that takes place over next weekend. There's four shows a day throughout the day, but I'm in two of them. Both of them the lead. So yeah, if you're in Portland next weekend... Come down to Twilight Theater in North Portland. Check it out. It's going to be really fun. All the shows are revolving around theater. You can get a pass to see all of them. Although the two I'm in, I think, are the best ones just because I'm in them. (laughs) But yeah, and let's see. Other stuff coming up that sounds interesting. Portland Center Stage, which is where I saw Midsummer Night's Dream, they're opening their season with doing a production of Hair, which sounds really good. I've never seen Hair. I want to go see it. It was actually supposed to be a show they did in the COVID times, but because of COVID, they had to shut it down. They're finally getting around to doing it. But it sounds really, really intriguing, really exciting. And if you're in Portland next fall, September through October, definitely come check it out. It's well worth the trip. There's a lot of great theater in the area to see. So yeah. Hair is a fantastic show. You'll really enjoy it. 
So that's amazing. And that one act festival you were mentioning, that's next week in July 22nd, right? Yes, twenty the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. You can come see that and then also go see six, do a double show day. Yes. Well, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Aside from all the fame and the accolades people give me, <laughs> uh, being recognized on the streets. <laughs> no, I, I love the connections I get to make with audience members. Just there's something to really be said about getting together and sharing an experience. And you can't really get that anywhere else, really. The fact of, you know, you might be having a rough day and then you come to the theater and you see maybe you see some of the characters in the story you're watching going through similar stuff that you're going through. And just for that moment, you get to share in this moment of like, oh, wow, they're going through the same thing I'm going through and they got through it. Or maybe you get to be taken away from your problems for two hours and just enjoy a funny comedy. And you can't really beat that because you get to share in this experience in this moment together. Yeah. I, I, I got to go see come from away uh-huh. in May. It came. Yeah. I, it was my second time seeing it. And I took my mom. I surprised her with front row seats. She didn't know we had front row seats. And I just remember one of my favorite things was the guy sitting next to us had seen it before too. And he just loved it. So it was just so fun when the show ended, just turning and talking to him about it and just like his experience with it. And then like another lady nearby also having that same, we kind of all had this moment. We didn't know each other. We all had this great moment of just like, we got to share in this experience together of seeing Come From Away. And, I, you know, some of us had seen it before, some of us hadn't. We all just had this great little collective shared experience. And there's very few, other, there's very few places where you can get that, I think, to that degree. You're Because you're seeing it all at the exact same time, which is not what you always get. And there's other venues where you can share an experience, but you might be seeing it at different times or seeing different parts at different times. So, but yeah, that's, I think, the thing that I love most about theater. I love that. What a great answer. And now we've arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Oh, it's an easy one. So it's kind of a two-part story. It's kind of a two-part story. So when I was about six, Phantom of the Opera, I'm dating myself here. Phantom of the Opera came to Portland on tour for the first time ever. And so my grandparents got me themselves, my mom, my dad, my other brother tickets to see Phantom, front row seats. And my parents were very nervous about me seeing because I was only six years old at the time. And I'd never sat through anything like that before, that length. Phantom's about three hours. And they were nervous because they're like, I don't know if he's going to make it through a three-hour show. Because the only thing I'd ever seen that was theater-related, honestly, before that was a video of Mary Martin's Peter Pan which I watched ad nauseum. And so they're like, well, let's try it out. Let's take him. Maybe one of us can leave at intermission if we need to. It's fine. We'll take two cars. And from the second the chandelier lights flicked on, I was hooked. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time, start to finish. I did not move. I did not have a problem. I was fully engaged in the story. And I don't remember this, but according to my mom, I was so taken with it that the whole way home, I was talking about how they did everything. And I was using all these big theater terms that no one knew that I didn't know before. I'm like, oh, did you notice how in the proscenium they did this? And they're like, who are you? What, what? And for the rest of that week, I listened to the soundtrack on cassette. For your listeners, cassettes before they had CD, well, before they had YouTube, they had CDs. Before that, they had a cassette tape. And I listened to the soundtrack 
on a loop in my living room and acted out all the parts for the rest of the week. I was hooked on it. And that's the show that really got me into musical theater, but also it kind of got me into live theater because it was kind of that moment where I'm like, oh, like this is something people can actually do. It's not like just because I think I had a problem disassociating Mary Martin's Peter Pan from being a movie. I was like, I assumed it was a movie. I didn't know that it was like an actual, like you could go and see this live on stage. I'm like, oh, wow, this is a thing. And then fast forward, this was at, so Portland, like a lot of cities, has a theater dedicated to touring Broadway shows called the Keller Auditorium. And that's where all the theaters go. That's where I saw Phantom. Fast forward a few years later, my grandpa took me to see the Nutcracker there. It's kind of our big theater where a lot of different companies are housed in. The Oregon Ballet Theater is housed there too. And we saw the Nutcracker and there were kids up there dancing. And my grandpa leaned over to me and he said, you can do that. And that was the moment I realized kids can do this. And so that's kind of why I started getting into like taking acting classes and like getting involved in auditioning and doing shows and things like that. Fast forward a little bit more to 2015, 16, somewhere in there. I actually got cast in a show that performed at Keller Auditorium. I got cast in another company that uses the Keller Auditorium is Portland Opera. And they ca- they did a production of Carmen and I got to be a there's these roles in the opera called supernumeraries, which are non-speaking, non-singing roles. They're basically the equivalent of a film extra. But depending on the show, sometimes you can get a pretty meaty part without even singing in an opera. You can like be like, there was one show I did where I was a henchman. I was in almost the whole show, just doing different things. It was really cool. But anyway, so I got to act at the Keller Auditorium stage years later as a supernumerary in Carmen, sold out production of Carmen. And so that was kind of that full circle moment of me of like, wow, this is like, this ignited my love of theater. Now I get to be up here igniting other people's love of theater. So it's a three-part story, but that by far is my favorite theater memory. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. Yes. What a fantastic memory. We love a good the opera origin story kind of memory. Yes. Right. Welcome to the club. To We're getting jackets made. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And so, yeah, and then I got to see it on Broadway finally last December before it closed. So that was great, too. That's awesome. Well, yeah. thank you for sharing that memory. That's wonderful. Yeah, of course. Do you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug? You had mentioned The Toast that's mm-hmm. happening next weekend, the 21st, 22nd, 23rd. In yep. Your- any other any others that we might be able to mention well right now i'm i'm so i just got a job teaching high school theater and so right now i'm kind of in the midst of picking the inaugural season for me here and so that's kind of its own challenge i don't know what i'm gonna do yet i'm still picking but aside from that that's pretty much all i'm up to right now as and and of course planning the new york city trip which is in 25 days so Yes, getting out here to the big city. We can't wait to have you. That is amazing. (laughs) Well, since you are a fantastic theater teacher and a working actor, if our listeners want more information about you or perhaps you'd like to reach out to you, how can they do that? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. My handle is Bobby Novi. I know you're probably wondering how in the world I came up with such a creative name. (laughs) for my handle, but it's Bobby Novi, uh, all one word, lowercase, on Instagram. Yeah, and I post a lot of pictures all the time. So, yeah. Perfect. 
Bobby, this has been amazing getting to speak with you and hear your thoughts about one of the shows we covered. I hope we get to have you back again to talk about other shows that we've shared because this has been fantastic. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you for having me. I love the show and it's been so fun to finally be a part of it. So thank you. My guest today has been Bobby Novi, who is a teacher and listener of Stage Whisper, who joined us today to talk about a recent episode of ours covering A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. He is a teacher and a working actor out in Portland, Oregon. So if you get the chance to see him, make sure you say hi. Check him out at The Toast, which is the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd in North Portland, or at any of his other performances coming up. And you can find him on Instagram at Bobby Novi, which we'll, of course, be tagging him in for our social media posts and episode description. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. The lights of all-